Hey friends, thanks for joining us on the Changed Movement podcast. For more resources, visit changedmovement.com or follow us on Instagram. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. In this recording, I'm joined by Ronald McRae. And I had a few minutes there, or a few moments there, right at the very beginning where the recording didn't take. And so um, we'll jump right into where he starts to share his story. I was uh, raised in the church, um, in the Pentecostal church, as a small boy. And, you know, my experience or knowledge of faith was very surface level. You know, I knew about Jesus from my mom's testimony and grandma's testimony, but I, I couldn't say that I knew him personally, myself as a savior. Um, I knew he was God and I knew that he, you know, became a man and sacrificed his life for the sins of the world. But as a young boy, I don't think we really understand the gravity of sin. Uh, and so as I got older and kind of ventured out into some things, I, you know, found myself with a better understanding of just uh, how much I needed Jesus to save me from myself. Um, so just, you know, growing up in the church and, um, you know, really struggling in terms of identity. I struggled a lot relationally with other um, boys or, uh, who were my age. I was more of the sensitive type. Um, I wasn't into like context sports. I was into like the arts and um, gymnastics and singing. And so um, a lot of the guys who were around me, because they were the more rough and tumble type, um, I kind of stood out a little bit. Um, and it caused me to be subject to like uh, criticism and people making judgments about my identity, uh, ca calling me names like gay and, and sissy and soft. And, you know, I really didn't know all of what gay meant that young. Like I knew that it meant that guys had sex with guys. Um, but it was an identity that was being placed on me. And you know, as early as nine, year, nine years old, I started to be, uh, had began to be sexually molested by a close male relative and two of his male friends. And that just kind of further perpetuated the um, crisis of identity that I was experiencing. And that's when I remember the um, kind of the onset of the same sex attractions being introduced to me, um, kind of changed the way that I viewed the world, uh, how I interacted with other men, uh, I started to have like a complex or a fear being around other men because I felt like they wanted something from me or that they wanted to harm me. And I was kind of forced to keep this secret, you know, by my abusers for a long time. So it was just something that just kind of ate away at me. Um, and as I kind of went like to grade school and you know, to middle school, um, the desires just began to rage inside of me. And, you know, I dated females to kind of, um, suppress the thoughts, thinking maybe if I, you know, dated other, you know, dated girls, then maybe the thoughts will go away, but they didn't. I just remember like praying and praying like, God, take away these feelings and I will wake up the next morning and the feelings are still there. So it was like a lot of anxiety and depression when I was young. Um, so it was a really scary time for me to have this internal battle alone. And just the, what you heard over the pulpit was, homosexuality is an abomination and it was like hammering the sin, but I had never heard anyone like off extend an invitation to the person wrestling with same sex attraction to say that there was hope. So if that gives you kind of a picture of where I was as a young kid with this struggle. 
Wow, that's still a problem today, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. So yeah. great. And so I, um, you know, I'm in middle school and um, this young man who was in the seventh grade, uh, he was the only openly gay person that I knew. And he was like unashamed about it. And there was a part of me that was uncomfortable with him because, you know, of his effeminacy and just kind of the stereotype that people have about gay people. I just kind of found myself ignorant of it and just yeah. responding like everyone else. But secretly, he was living out loud the life that I was uh, battling with inside. And so we ended up becoming friends, um, funny enough. And he introduced, you know, the term the life to me. And it just sounded like so much freedom. And, um, you know, just in our conversations, I was able to communicate him those hidden desires in my heart. And that, you know, finally at the age of 16, I decided that I was going to try this out for six months, you know, and come back to heterosexual relationships. And um, the six months ended up consuming my life for six years. And so, you know, coming out eventually of the, of the closet, as they say, Family, some family rejected me. I wasn't welcomed at certain family members' homes anymore, and friends rejected me. And so I was really hurt. Um, rejection was a big thing because my father and I had a broken relationship due to an addiction with drugs and alcohol. So I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel like I was worthy of his time. And in the time that we did spend together, it seemed like the bottle of alcohol received more quality time than I did. And so I gravitated to mom and females and kind of picked up some of their tendencies and dressed up in mom's clothes when no one was around. So I really embraced femininity. So finally acting out on these feelings at the age of 16, um, you know, I met the young man who had been pursuing me online on the Metro and who ended up engaging in a kiss and it just felt so natural. It felt like this is what I've been looking for. And uh, that was just the beginning of my introduction into the life. And I had become fully immersed in uh, gay culture, um, you know, the clubs and the bars and the parties and, you know, getting caught up in the promiscuity. And, you know, I was raped at the age of 16, you know, when I'm just starting out in the life. And while someone would think, well, why didn't that cause you to turn around or turn away from it? Um, I don't think I understood my value at that time. So it was kind of easy for me to just um, give myself over to things. And because I had been sexually abused, I had a pattern of submerging trauma uh, without addressing it. So I just kind of took the rape like I did with the sexual abuse and just shifted it to the back of my mind, not really processing what had happened to me. And so just over the years um, of being in the life, you know, I went from one relationship to the next and one sexual encounter to the next. And there was like this gaping void inside of me. And I couldn't put words to it. It just felt like it just continually expanded. Like the more that I gave my body away, um, you know, the more I was in these relationships, I just felt like something was missing. Uh, and it drove me crazy. Like I was still wrestling with depression and wrestling with suicidal thoughts because what I was doing was not fulfilling me. And I didn't know that my heart was crying out for a relationship with Jesus. And so by this time, I hadn't been to the church in years. And, you know, I had this understanding that because Christians uh, look at me and treat me a certain way, then surely God must feel the same way about me. 
And so I didn't think that I was redeemable. I thought that homosexuality was somehow the equivalent to the sin of blasphemy um, at the top of the pyramid of sin. And so uh, I just really embraced the LGBT community because they were the ones that embraced me when others turned me away. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really just spiraled Elizabeth. Um, and I just reached a point like in my heart where I was like crying out for God. Um, like there has to be more to life than this. Um, you know, the LGBT community, um, it, it's, it's almost like there's, there is a degree of freedom, um, but it is deceptive. It's the freedom to, uh, we had this like freedom to be able to kind of do what we wanted, who we wanted, however we wanted, and there was no one to like um, judge us for it. Um, you know, however you desire to express yourself, you were free to do that. Um, and so I was just really caught up in that, but I knew that it was sin. Like I couldn't sin freely because I knew what the word of God said about my life. So there'll be times when I'm in, you know, in bed with the boyfriend and we would, the conversation will come up like, you know, this is like wrong. Like the Bible calls this sin. And it would just turn into these theological discussions and I would be super convicted in my heart and in the relationship to try to walk and follow Jesus. But after like two or three months, I would end up right back in the same place. Um, and so I had a life-changing encounter with Jesus on October 18th of 2009, um, where uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter one, verse eight, it says, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power. So uh, it wasn't me trying to walk away from the life of my own accord and my own willpower, but now this was the supernatural power of God coming to live inside of me to help me to live a life above the dominion of sin. But it's crazy how this happened because I had a roommate at the time uh, prior to that, and the only condition that we could be roommates was that I would go to church with him, um, and I can't remember what the other condition was. Um, but it, he was in the life as well and still is to this day. And lo and behold, behind closed doors, he was praying for me and interceding for me that God would transform my life, that I would, you know, get out of it. And you know, I went to church with him thinking that Christians were going to judge me, but they really loved me. And it really started to like melt the ice around my heart that I had, you know, about people of faith. And so they just like took me in as like a family, a member, like a family member. And I was like, wow, these, I don't feel like they're looking at me on the basis of my sin. I feel like they see me as Ronald McRae. They see me as a soul in need of Jesus. And that just really opened my heart to go back to my own church and the, my pastor preaching the word of God under the conviction of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It was just like, um, again, melting the ice around my heart. And I could like clearly see that Jesus was pursuing me. I could clearly see that he wanted me. And for the first time, I could see that he loved me. Um, but there was still that internal wrestle um, because I had lived my life as a gay man for six years. It was a whole identity. So to forsake that and to follow after Jesus and pursue a life that I did not know what it would look like was very scary for me. Um, but I had to trust that if God was really who he says he is, then the new life that he had to offer me was greater than the life of depravity that I had lived. And so I began my journey on October 18th of 2009 and um, wondering if this was just a high that I was feeling um, and if I was just going to come down from this high and just kind of fall back into 
um, the life, but it was a, a day by day journey that has led to over 10 years later today, um, where I haven't gone back to, you know, same sex relationships or same sex sex. And it's not because, you know, temptation isn't real, but it was because I found that in this relationship with Jesus, this is what I had been looking for. Like this was the fulfillment to the void I had been feeling all along and no man um, could satisfy me. No man could feel me like, like Jesus could. And so just going through this journey, like there were many struggles that I had, like with pornography and with masturbation, because I was, those were things that I was addicted to and that I took pleasure in prior to this relationship with, with the Lord. Um, and God just began to um, deal with me in terms of like spiritual warfare and helping me to understand um, what was happening, uh, you know, with me being plagued with like dreams. Like the first year of my salvation, I had a sexual dream every night. And it, it was like it was real, like it was in real life. Like I woke up like feeling like I needed to repent. Um, and the Lord directed me to um, Acts chapter 16, I believe verse 16, when Paul um, met the young girl who was uh, possessed with the spirit of divination. Um, and Paul called the spirit out of the young lady. Um, and, you know, and he told me to walk throughout my apartment um, and speak to those spirits that were attacking me. Um, and so as I was walking through my apartment, I literally felt like presences pushing back against me. Um, and like, I'm, I'm telling this is truthful as I know how. Um, and after that night, the dream stopped and it, it was crazy to me. I'm like, okay, so this is really real. Like Jesus is real. Uh, there's really authority in his name. And if we, if we use his, uh, his name and we, you know, speak it in authority, then the powers of darkness are subject to it. And then so I asked God to wipe my mind of the pornographic images that would just like constantly rotate in my mind. Because like when I was at work, I'm struggling with lusting after guys. And I can't tell you exactly the day that it happened, but it was like God just took um, an eraser and just like erased my conscious, erased my mind of those um, explicit images where I was able to have freedom. And I didn't realize how long I had been in bondage. Like you don't really know true freedom unless you understand the depths of your bondage. And for the first time I could clearly see that like, and I could go to sleep with peace. I could wake up in peace and feel the presence of God in my room with me and ministering to me and helping me to understand the thread of my same sex attraction. Like it wasn't just a sexual thing, but uh, understanding the types of men that I was attracted to and why, like I was attracted to the men that made me feel safe and comfortable, which are things that I wanted from my dad. Mm -hmm. And because I didn't get that there, I was then seeking out men for daddy's love. Yeah. Uh, and even being broken. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. Cut me off at any point. <laughs> no, you're doing such a good job. I don't want to interject very much. So keep going. And even being broken relations, relationally with, you know, men my age, uh, I never had an opportunity to understand what healthy touch was. Mm -hmm. It was perverted because I was abused. And so he was helping me to see that the reason why my um, it turned sexual and it turned to relationships with men um, is because I was, I was desiring the healthy version of it. But yeah. because it was perverted, 
um, that was the, the link that Satan used to introduce me into a life of brokenness. And I thought I was living the life and I, I was free, but I was really broken. And so Jesus was really just digging into my heart and unearthing trauma um, and inviting me uh, or and inviting me to spaces in my heart where I didn't realize how broken I was. Like I didn't tell anyone about my abuse until the age of 22. And it was just like a, a dam had broke. Um, and now God's like, you need to forgive your abusers. And I'm like, wait a minute, God, <laughs> that's a little much. You can kill me, but that's, uh, a huge step, but it showed me how much God even loved and loves the abusers because mm -hmm. th there's a, a freeing experience that they have when you can tell them, I forgive you for what you did to me. Like, I don't hold you hostage. Um, and I had a conversation with that relative face to face and like he genuinely, genuinely apologized and embraced me. Um, and when he got out of the car, uh, when he closed the door, that chapter of my life, was closed because I had carried that for so long. And every time I would come around him, my body would tense up. Yeah. And I was carrying the emotional weight of that for years. And God was saying, enough, like, I want you to be free. Like, I didn't want to just be saved and, and broken. I wanted to be saved and whole. Uh, like Jesus asked the man in the scriptures, will thou be made whole? That was a question that required a response. And he could have easily said no and remained in his broken state. Um, but I wanted to experience everything that God had for me. And then that's when he started to deal with me about writing a book, writing my story. And as I was beginning to write, um, I was having to relive the trauma, things that I had, you know, like the rape and the abuse that I never addressed. Mm -hmm. So it took me nine years to finally write and finish the book because of the emotional journey. But I'm so glad that um, I didn't quit, that I didn't you know, give up and writing the story because not only was it freeing and healing for me, but just hearing the testimonies of people who have read the book even from people who don't come from my background, um, they're telling me of how it's transforming their lives and how they are healing too. So this 10-year journey um, has just been incredible. Like I'm a father now, I'm a husband. Like I lost my attractions for women. You know, when I came to the Lord, I didn't have attractions for females. Uh, you mean for men, right? So Sorry. you... you... <laughs> Yeah, so when I came to the Lord, um, I was only exclusively attracted to men. Like, I didn't yeah. have an attraction for females. And I was prepared to commit my life to singleness and to celibacy. And then I met this amazing woman named Fatima, uh, who I went to high school with but never met. Like, we had the same friend groups went to the same middle school, were raised a few blocks away from each other. Um, and we just like really like connected. Like I met her in Sunday school at church and God told me to tell her I have a work for, he has a work for her to do. And that if she seeks him, he would show her what that is. And so I told her, I said, you know, it's my son crazy. I know you don't know me. Um, and you know, but God wants me to tell you that he has a work for you to do. And that if you seek him, he'll show you what that is. And she said, this is freaky because for years, a voice had been speaking to me, telling me that he had a work for me to do. So this is confirmation that the same God that's been speaking to me is speaking to everyone else. And the reason why this is so significant is because my wife wasn't raised Christian. Her father was a Muslim and her mother was a Jehovah's Witness, um, also experiencing like a lot of trauma and abuse. 
uh, her method of coping was sex and drugs and alcohol. And when she would be drunk, a voice would speak to her about purpose. And then one day you're going to marry a minister. Like she has these things written in a journal. And then um, we meet in Sunday school and in conversation, you know, as days went forward, I found that she also used to be lesbian and bisexual. So I'm like, whoa, like what's happening here? Um, and just to fast forward, you know, you know, God had re like given back to me the natural affections of a man and just awakening desires and attractions that had been like dead for so long. And we ended up getting married. And, um, you know, the work that he was speaking to her about is the work that we're doing today of preaching the gospel and sharing our testimonies of how the gospel has transformed our lives. Um, and it's just phenomenal. Like I never, 10 years ago, if you would have told me that this would be my life, I would have laughed at you. Um, so God has made me into a believer. And the, the beautiful thing is the story is yet being written. Right. Yeah. I, I love that. Um, the name. So on your, on your book, just the little that I've read of it, you talk about is God who he says he is. And I think a lot of the time um, it's easy to say, well, God addressed an issue in my life, say pornography. But um, I think a lot of people don't understand how, how God does that. You know, um, I think there's a segment of the Christian world who doesn't draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and doesn't know how to interact with God. And when I interact with my friends who are gay affirming, so, I mean, I came out of uh, the gay affirming church movement. When I talk to them, the power of the Holy Spirit isn't really, they're not aware of it. They're not in touch with it. And so, I mean, you describe um, the Lord speaking to you, giving you dialogue about your life and insight about why you were feeling the way you were feeling, why you would turn to certain reactions. And um, can you talk a little bit about how you developed an awareness of God's voice and, and how you cultivate that today? Sure. So God, the first time I believe I heard the voice of God was actually when I was in a nightclub and I was drunk. Um, this was during the time when it was really becoming apparent to me that God was pursuing my heart. Like he would just send people in random places just um, to tell me that, you know, God loves you. And they would just like, the love that they showed me just like left an imprint on my heart. Mm -hmm. And so I remember being in the nightclub and I was drunk and I heard a voice say to me, I have so much more for you. And I thought I had reached a new level of drunkenness to the point where I was hearing voices. <laughs> um, and, but on the way home from the club, I was sitting in the back seat and gazing out of the window of my friend's car. And I heard the voice say the same thing again. Um, and so I had, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily like, oh my gosh, Jesus is speaking to me. But like, I knew that like God is talking to me, but I don't know if I really um, made it a thing, if that makes sense. Um, and so just different points of my life as, you know, when I was living in sin and embracing sin, um, I would have moments like that where the Holy Spirit would just whisper like things of, like um, messages of like hope to, to inspire me to keep going, like to not stop where I was because he was drawing me closer to him. Like the scripture says that 
uh, it's the goodness of God that leads me into repentance. And there were certain things that were happening in my life where God wanted me to know, like, I'm the author of this. So you understand that it's me that's drawing you closer to myself. And so, you know, after I had, um, you know, was experienced, you know, being born again, when I would be in prayer, I would hear the voice of God. And prayer was never designed for us to do all the talking. Like it's rude for us to sit across from someone and we're just doing all the talking and we never allow them an opportunity to respond. But I found that prayer is a space of exchange where we can talk to God, but we have to stay there long enough for God to speak back to us. And so I intentionally went in prayer expecting to hear from God. Uh, and I would journal the things that he would say to me, things that he would speak to me about my life. And then people that I would meet, random strangers, would prophesy into me. And it was consistent with what God was saying to me in prayer. And I have been watching those prophecies uh, unfold to this day that I still have written down in my journal. When, um, when you're addressing like a mass, an issue of masturbation, like I've talked to so many people who have, who have been in the throes of some kind of sexual experience and God has spoken to them even in the midst of that or directly after, um, how, you know, part of what I hope that out of our, all of our experiences will happen is people will begin to see that God, God's goodness is unusual <laughs> because um, I mean he, he can sit he can be in the middle of your deepest pain and sit with you in it and he waits for you to turn to him to look for answers and a way out but then he's very quick to take your hand right um, did, did you experience things like that how did you how did the Lord invest in you for, for your problem with masturbation and porn? So from my perspective, I, because I would like one day, it seemed like I was on the top of the mountain in my faithful God and I'm just feeling the presence of God. And by the end of the night, I'm feeling these raging temptations to engage in pornography and masturbation. And so when I would fall into it, I felt so much condemnation yeah. Uh, and guilt and it made me fearful to like tell someone like hey I'm struggling and I need help yeah. so for a long time I wrestled with masturbation and pornography in secret fearing what other people would think of me um, and so I finally told my you know spiritual father uh, who I called dad um, and he really just like encouraged me and helped me to see that when we are born again Literally, we are babies, and babies are not expected to get up and just run when they get out of the womb. But, you know, eventually they have to learn to crawl, and they have to learn to walk. But as they're learning to walk, they stumble and they fall. And the parent is not saying, well, how dare you do that? You know, why would you do this? But they understand, like, you're a child and you need help. And so it helped me to understand that God wasn't looking for an opportunity to punish me for my sins, but he was like, I understand why this is a struggle for you. Let me help you. Let me give you the understanding of why this is a struggle. So, and in that space of, go ahead. Uh, well, you were, I think you were about to get to it. So in that space, continue your, your thought there. Yeah, so in that space, uh, it showed me, like when God was showing me, like the, again, the roots of my lust, it's like, oh my gosh, like God, like this is personal. Like he's not distant. Like he's actually personal in my experience. And so I learned that he was gracious. Like 
he was patient. Like no matter how many times I fail in that area, it didn't push him away from me and make me like make him not want me, but he wanted me to come closer to him so that I can experience the freedom from it. Mm-hmm. And so over time, the desire to masturbate excessively in a day's span just started to decrease. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't explain it. And this was before being married. Uh, and just to be completely transparent, I was masturbating for five to seven times a day. Like that's how intense mm-hmm. those, the lustful thoughts were. But he started with transforming my mind. Like Romans 12, two says, uh, he was renewing my mind so that my body would follow suit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that as we, like the Lord helps us to abstain from um, masturbation and pornography, it's like a muscle that's being developed because when we engage in it, it's so strong. And like I've heard the scientific explanation of how synapses are created in the brain connected to our you know, response to pornography and masturbation. So it's like God is rewired, literally rewiring our minds through his word. And so I was seeing the outward working of that um, as that desire began to decrease in me. So he would, so as you were using those things to self-soothe and to kind of cope really and to deaden some of the pain. And so as, as the Lord was meeting your heart needs and as he was exposing your past, like why you had the impulse, um, what, what need they were, it was filling then the Lord would fill those needs. And right. basically, you know, so you stop needing it as much essentially. And then he start, he's rewiring your mind as you read the scriptures and pray. And, and so it, it's really stunning how powerful God is and how gentle he is to really kind of leverage these things out of our lives and, and replace them with himself. Amen. Um, so how did, how did your book launch go? The book launch was awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, my close uh, friend, Edward Bird, whom I consider to be a brother, um, was one of the hosts and Tamika Sanders was the co-host. Uh, and it was just, it was really wonderful um, just having an opportunity to engage with people and to see the response from people. Um, again, people who come from the life, people who are still in the life, like friends, um, just seeing their response and, you know, their support, like it was very encouraging because I, I didn't think honestly that anybody would want to read my book uh, just because of the nature of it and because how taboo it's been. Um, but I have like the response has just been overwhelming and just the feedback that's coming in about the book has really been touching. Uh, so I, all I can say is God is good. And, you know, I would say to people who are listening, um, you know, God is prompting you to share your story. Uh, you know, it's not just about you because like there's an element of sharing our stories where it heals us as we talk about it. Um, but you give someone else an opportunity to heal and to know God and their struggles as well. So they can see that there's hope for them too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like God is really releasing testimonies in a way that pronounces the gospel. It's, it's a way that um, really articulates his character and the gentleness, the graciousness of his character, as you described, for people in a way that's accessible. Like um, you can get that picture. You can understand who he is, kind of how he's impacting our lives. One of the things, so we've, you know, last week we were with Andrew Franklin, who's a pastor. Are, are you pastoring a church? What are you doing now as a minister? 
Um, so I'm not pastoring a church. Um, I have served in different functions um, at my church, like being on the youth auxiliary staff and serving as a mentor for um, you know the young people. Um, I am a preacher as well. Um, mm -hmm. So my primary uh, area of ministry right now that God has me focused on um, is in the space of like sharing my testimony and ministering to um, people who have reached out to me. Like I've, I've been speaking to people in Africa um, and in different countries uh, who want help um, because in certain places in Africa, they would stone you to death on the basis of your sexuality. And so yeah. they're afraid to speak up and say, hey, I'm struggling because it might cost them their lives. Yeah. And so a lot of ministry has been going forth through Zoom, like encouraging people, yeah. praying with them and talking to them through Facebook Messenger. And at the church at large, like what are you seeing God do the more you share your story? Uh, a few things. Um, it's definitely challenging the biases of some people who have looked at um, this community from a lens of hate and uh, kind of uh, like not wanting to share the message of hope, kind of like a Jonah situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good, right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've received a lot of responses from pastors who have said like, it's really helping us to uh, have compassion mm -hmm. um, and to, to really reach out and be intentional about loving people. Because, um, yeah, sometimes the ch church will categorize sin, but sin is sin. And the solution is still the same, and it's Jesus. And so in our preaching, uh, you know, we, if we're only preaching the condemnation, we're not really preaching the gospel, because the gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anybody can be made new, including the person in the LGBT community. So. I say that to say it's, uh, it is encouraging to see um, pastors uh, now addressing it, even within my uh, church realm where um, it's been so taboo and like yeah. people have been condemning, but even having my pastor support um, and putting his endorsement on the book, I'm just seeing God move in so many incredible ways. Uh, and it makes me happy because people can get the help that they need. Like people can get to Jesus and don't have the barriers of um, not so loving people in the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm so that very thing that you just articulated is one of the most important things that I feel is happening with changed. Like all of us who are, are following the Lord, that the Lord is calling. I, I feel strongly, oh, I can feel the Lord on this, that in this season, all of us who are being called out of the LGBT community have a very powerful work to do to re restore the love of Christ into the congregation, to, to restore the humility, the gentleness, the graciousness of God, and remind the church of how powerful but good God is for all people. And so um, thank you for articulating that. Thanks, Ronald, for joining me. I, it's not nearly a long enough conversation. I just barely know you, and now I have tons of questions. So <laughs> I'm, I'm so pleased that you could join us today. Um, how can people find your book? Like, what's the best way to purchase that? Uh, so it's available on Amazon, and the book is called It's God Who He Says He Is. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can go to my website, which is Ronald J. McRae which is spelled M-C-C-R-A-Y.com. <laughs> I'll put it in the comment section as well. 
Cool. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I look forward to talking again. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I look forward to talking with you too. <laughs> and everyone who's joined us, thanks so much. And we'll see you again at around 930 Pacific next week. Blessings, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're glad you joined us. For more content, visit changemovement.com and follow us on social media. And remember, change is possible.